Well, good morning. It is a beautiful day outside. You wouldn't think it's the end of or the in November. We've had about six days of 70 degree weather in a row. And National Weather Service said the record for November for Kansas City is seven days, which will be tomorrow, I think. And then it won't be 70 anymore because it is winter's approaching. So rejoice and be glad in it. So thank you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. This is, I'm Pastor Nelson, Associate Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church. And this is your Sunday School lesson for November 8th, 2020. We'll be looking in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49. If this is the first time that you've been watching and listening, you can check out more about our church at Tower View Baptist Church. Our website is towerviewkc.com. We are in Kansas City, Missouri. And if you know anything about Kansas City, Missouri, you know there's the World's of Fun Water Tower, and that is where we are. We are right between the Water Tower and the Interstate at the corner of Northeast 50th and Randolph Road. So if you're in the area, uh, we have live church today at 1030. You can come in and park in the parking lot and turn your radios to 90.7. You can come in and bring a blanket or a lawn chair and sit out in the grass. It's a nice day, and I'll have the speaker set up outside that you can list everything about the service. Indoor service is reservation only, and you had to make reservations before today. So if you want to do that for next week, that is hunky-dory. We'd be glad to accept that. So I thank, like I said, I thank you for watching. I thank you for listening. Um, I forgot my headphones, so I have no idea if I'm making any noise right now. I assume I am. Um, nobody at my phone isn't blowing up saying, I can't hear you. So I, I assume everything is hunky-dory there. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and we praise you for the blessings that you give us. Lord, as we study today your word just for a few minutes, open our hearts, open our minds, open our emotions, open our lives to your word. Let it soak into us. Let us change us from the inside out. Lord, for some of us, that's changing something that you've, you've started changing us many years ago, many decades ago. We've been following Christ for a long time. But I pray that the change doesn't stop, that it continues. And if it did stop for a time, I pray that it, can, it starts, your change starts that process again. And Lord, if there's somebody watching or listening who has never turned to you, who has never been changed by your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that today is the day of their salvation. You are the mighty God, Lord, and we just pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, good morning, one and all. We are in Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49 is where we're going to be at today. And Isaiah 49 begins a new section of Isaiah. From If you go from Isaiah 49 to 55, it is, is a section of Scripture, and I'm going to talk more about what's in that section at the end. One of the things I do as I study, the first thing I do is I read the Scripture. And as I read the Scripture, you know, I start with, with the things I've read before, but also just as I read the words of the Scripture in the context, try to figure out, especially in the prophets, 
who is talking? Because in this section, I mean, obviously this is the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is the one writing them down. All right? And they are the words of God. And so obviously that part. But as Isaiah writes, and as the prophets write a lot of times, they will write and they will use the context that they're writing to somebody else. So sometimes they're writing in the voice of God. Because that is God, God has laid on them. But sometimes they, they write as themselves. Sometimes they write as an interlocutor, as someone else who's asking questions, as, as, as a, one of the followers of Judaism, one of the Israelites. Um, sometimes as a, a, another king from another land. And so sometimes he, he, they write with different voices, just like if, if you read a Harry Potter novel, you know that the, all the words are J.K. Rawlings, but as you're reading it, you know that different characters are speaking, and sometimes you have to stop. If they don't, um, aren't clear, you have to stop and think, well, who, which character is, is, is um, speaking at the moment? And you may have to back up a little bit and to figure out who the he said was and go back and figure out who he, because you, your mind got distracted and you, you lost track or there's too many characters. And so as we read this, as I read this, I'm going to kind of walk through it the way my brain did when I read it the first time. Okay? And so we're in Isaiah chapter 49, and we're going to start in verse 1. The lesson plan goes from uh, 49, 1 through 13, and that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm, actually, I'm not going to do any extra reading. So for Isaiah chapter 49, starting in verse 1, and it says this, Coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. So I'm reading this. It's like, okay, who is he speaking as? Because obviously, you know, he says I. So it's like, Okay, Isaiah is talking about himself. This sounds a lot like the beginning of the book of Jeremiah when Jeremiah talks about his calling. This sounds a lot like the psalmist in Psalm 139 where he's talking about his life. So it's like, this sounds like Isaiah is talking about himself. And Isaiah is preaching, he's preaching to faraway places, coasts and islands, listen to me. Well, now he's not talking about literally, he's not preaching to the beach, okay? And he's not preaching to islands. But he says, listen to me, distant peoples. There's, there's your clue. That's who he's talking to, distant peoples. They're so far away that they're on the coast. They're so far away, they're on some faraway island because they're not nearby. Israel has a coast. But really, if you stop and think about it, it is hardly ever mentioned in scriptures. They are, as a whole, the nation of Israel was not a, 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 an ocean-going nation. Only during the, during the times of Solomon do they ever really talk about having ships. We, I know we, they have, you know, in the New Testament, the disciples, some of them were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, which is just a lake, but they don't talk about fishermen on the shores and going out into the Mediterranean, into the Great Sea, as they called it. And so, why were people scattered? Remember, Isaiah is writing for a future time. During Isaiah's time, Judah, the southern nation, was still intact. But the northern kingdom of Israel 
was scattered. They had been conquered. And while Assyria captured many of them and took them back, I imagine many, there was at least a significant number that saw the armies coming and just fled and loaded up on boats and went to other places in the world. They fled their homeland to avoid the Assyrian army. And so they went to other nations and other places in the world. Also, Isaiah is writing, because as we read this and as we've read the other scriptures in this second half of Isaiah since chapter 40, he is writing to the people after the Babylonians came through and conquered the nation. And so we know this by content. We know this since chapter 40. He has been writing to, it looks like he's writing to those who were scattered after the Babylonian invasion and the Babylonian conquering of Israel and Judah. Although that happened after Isaiah died, many years later. But yet, through God's providence and God's Holy Spirit, he was writing to them at that future time. And so the people are scattered. He's writing to a people who are scattered, who are not cohesive. And he's somebody says the Lord. That's the Lord. Lord is all caps there. L-O-R-D. That means Yahweh. Called me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. So that means God called him before the events that we read about in Isaiah 6, when he had that, uh, when he was taken up into heaven and, and he volunteered to serve God. But he knew God called him even before then. And so it's like Isaiah seems to be talking about himself. Verse 2, Isaiah 49, verse 2. He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Excuse me. And there he's talking about, he says that his words are like a sharp sword. That reminds you, from the, you read the New Testament, and the book of Revelation talks about a sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. That he is a sword, that his words are like a sword. And in Paul, in the book of Ephesians, when he's given us the armor of God, and he says the word of God, which is a, a, a sharp, two-edged sword. And so, once again, here is this phrase that's being used in multiple places in Scripture. But then it says something odd. He says, he hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me a sharpened arrow. So there's another weapon. Okay, he's a, he, he's a sword. He's a, he, he's a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. So both times, he turned him into an offensive weapon. With his, his words were an offensive weapon for God. But then it says both times that he hid me. Why do we hide? Well, a lot of times we hide when we're afraid, right? We're hiding, you know, when it's kids, you hide when you're playing a game, hide and seek or something. You hide when you're afraid. You hide when you're ashamed. But that's not the only time we hide. If there was a storm outside, and it was thundering and lightning, and I come banging on your door... Would you hide me in your house from the storm? If you were the nation, if you were a nation, and an enemy army was approaching, what do you do? You go hide in the citadel, behind 
the, the, the walls of your protected cities. You go hide behind the walls to keep so you're you know safe from the enemy. And the king that is your friend will let you in. And so here we are. Here, here it sounds like Isaiah is talking. He's, his words are like a sharp arrow, and God hides him in his hand. Where do you put a sword? You put it in your hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow, and he hid me in his quiver. Well, where do you put an arrow? You put it in the quiver. That's that little bag on the back of the archer that has all the arrows in it. And you watch the Lord of the Rings, and Legolas never runs out of arrows. And so that's what God did. He puts us, he puts us in that safe place, that ready place for his service. So it sounds like that's what Isaiah is. Isaiah is that place for that, his service. In verse 3, he continues on. Isaiah 49, verse 3. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. <clears throat> the grammar here is kind of unclear. He said to you are my servant. Once again, it sounds like he's talking about Isaiah. He called Isaiah his servant. And the question is, the way this is worded here, even in the English, it's, it's, it's unclear. You are my servant, Israel? Is he talking about, the whole? did he call Isaiah Israel? Or is he saying the whole nation of Israel is his servant, and this is all his case? Or does Israel go with the second part of this thing? You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Israel is going to be glorified. Because Isaiah is his servant, Israel is glorified. That's probably more of what it, 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 the, the stance is. Some translations make that a little bit more clear. In verse 4, continue on. But I myself said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and futility. Once again, it sounds like Isaiah. He says, I've labored in vain. He's went out. You think about all the sermons that Isaiah preached in, in chapters 1 through 39. How many times did people listen to him? Very few. Hezekiah did. But he, he but uh, Isaiah preached for more, you know, for King Amos that we read at the beginning, and King Amos didn't listen to him. But Amos's son, Hezekiah did. He says, but I and, and but probably not all the time. The nation and the people themselves probably didn't listen either. Because the nation didn't have a didn't seem to have a great revival. They had a little bit of a revival under Hezekiah. But they didn't keep it. When King Hezekiah died, they lost their religious fervor. At least for God, they went to other gods. So he said, I've labored in vain. Nobody's listening to me. I've spent my strength for nothing in futility. If we work in this world for human glory, we're going to be disappointed. Okay? We're going to be disappointed. Because what does Isaiah say then in the last part of verse 4? Yet my vindication is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. So there's a couple things about this. First, go back to the first word of verse, verse 4. But. So the first three verses, they're all good. God is someone God calling him from his mother's womb, and that God has sharpened him. And that he's like an, a sword and like an arrow ready to attack the enemy. 
And then verse 4, he goes, but. He goes, I have labored in vain. I have failed. I've spent my strength. I'm weak. I'm tired of this, God. I'm tired, God. And nothing has happened. It's all been futility. But then there's a yet, which is much like a but. There's a con a contrast here. My vindication is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. Understand that this, you know, what's the phrase we like to use? You know, no good deed goes unpunished. But God is the ultimate judge. Any judgment on this world is temporary. Even if they execute you, it's temporary. God is eternal. God is forever. What happens if you die today? You have a heart attack, an aneurysm. You die in a horrific car crash. You go to heaven if you're a child of God. What happens if you go to the doctor tomorrow and he diagnoses you with some terrible disease and says you have X number of months to live? What happens? You live, you die, and you spend eternity in heaven if you are a child of God. What happens if you have a perfectly healthy life? And you live to be 110 years old and have all your great-great-grandchildren singing Amazing Grace around your bed. Then you die and you spend eternity in heaven if you were a child of God. If God has called you, he will call you to repentance. And you must decide and you must choose to follow him. That is the day of your salvation, the day you choose that. And so... The prophet here understands, he goes, even though this world is, is awful, and I don't get what I deserve, but he will get what he deserves with God. This world is fallen. And he continues on in verse 5. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my strength is in my, and my God is my strength. And so he, he goes from woe is me to realizing God is in charge. God is the one who rewards. And that's what matters. Because if you wait for me, <laughs> me, <laughs> To encourage you, you maybe wait because I may forget because I forget everything. Um, I may not have the time or effort. I may be busy. Um, you can ask my kids how much of an encourager I can be at times. That is not one of my gifts. Um, praise God, God is changing me, and I do it better than I did in the past. But I ain't nowhere there. But God is the one who needs whose favor you need, not mine. You need God's favor. Verse 6, he says, that's God speaking, he says, Is it not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribe of Israel and restoring the protected ones? I will make you a light for the nations to be a salvation to the ends of the earth. And I got to this verse and I said, wait a minute. He can't be talking about Isaiah anymore. 
It is not enough for you to be my servant. That, that part sounds kind of, it could be Isaiah. Raising up the tribes of Jacob. Well, he's trying to raise them up through his words, but he doesn't actually do it himself. And restoring the protected ones of Israel. Well, Isaiah can't restore anybody. He is just a man, a prophet. I will make you a light to the nations. Isaiah can't be a light. He can speak of the light to the nations, to be a salvation to the ends of the earth. Wait a minute, it's a salvation. Isaiah can't be a salvation. Isaiah is only a prophet. He is only a spokesperson for God. Now I get to here and I'm saying, wait a minute, he's not talking about Isaiah. Isaiah can't be these things. He can't be a light. He can't be the salvation to the ends of the earth. Isaiah can't go there. He can only be at one place at a time. He is a prophet for the nation of Israel and for Judah. This, this section is not talking about Isaiah. He's talking about somebody else. Verse 7, This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, His Holy One says, To one who is despised to be abhorred by people to a servant of rulers, Kings will see, kings will see, princes will stand up, and they will bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and He has chosen you. This you, God, God is not talking about Isaiah anymore. Stop and think, he's like, wait a minute, this is not Isaiah. He is talking about the Messiah. He is talking about the prophet, the future that we know was fulfilled through Jesus. And so, now when you think about this, now when we go back and it's like, wait a minute, he is not talking about the prophet. He, he is talking about the Messiah. Because the Messiah is the salvation. Messiah is the light. The Messiah is the Redeemer of Israel. And he is the Holy One. And we know that Jesus was despised and abhorred. And we know that in the future, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And we see that through here. He says, kings will see and princes will stand up. And they will bow all bow down. Because God, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you, you the Messiah. You, the Son of God. And so now if we back up and reread this, it's like, wait a minute, this is talking about the Messiah. That puts a different light on this. So if this is about the Messiah, now go back to verse 1 and read this again. Coast and islands. Isaiah 49, I'm going to read verse 1. I'm going to read all the way down, down, starting from there. Coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant people, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He Named me while I was in my mother's womb. And think about this with, with the life of Jesus. He made me my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow and hid me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant. Israel will, in whom will be glorified. I myself said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and futility. 
Yet my vindication is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him, I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is not enough for you to be my servant. Raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel, I will make you a light for the nations, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One says, to one who is despised, to one abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers, kings will see, princes will stand up, and they will all bow down because the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. And so as we read this, we see the context changes. It's not that, you know, in verse is up there where it sounds, it sounds like, you know, the Messiah had some doubts, that Jesus had doubts, but we know Jesus had to spend time in prayer. We know Jesus in the garden prayed and said, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will but mine, not mine. We know the disciples around him had some of these thoughts. God, what are we, Jesus, what are we doing? We thought you were the Holy One of Israel. Why are, why are not people following you? Why, aren't, why isn't the Romans bowing down to you? They had doubts. Because some of this hasn't happened yet. We read about it in Revelation. It's still a future time. And so God continues talking about his servant. Because he calls him my servant. In more, more than once here, he calls him my servant. In verse 8, 49, 8, he says, This is what the Lord says. I will answer you in the time of favor, and I will help you in the day of salvation. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to make them possess the desolate inheritances, saying to the prisoners, Come out to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They will feed along the pathways, and their pastures will be on the barren heights. So look at this. I will answer you in the time of favor. That's when we will see the Messiah, in a time of favor. When is that? Well, part of it happened when Jesus came the first time. That was a time of favor. God showed who he was through Jesus Christ. And I will help you on the day of salvation. And part of that was, you know, for our salvation, it happened on his death and his resurrection. It was actually multiple days, but it was a short time period of time. Sometimes a day in Scripture is a metaphorical day. It's a day, it's a time period. You know, just like we use the phrase, well, back in the day... Same in Scripture. Sometimes day, well, how do you know, Pastor, when is what? Context. Read the whole, you can't just read that one verse. you got to read the chapter. Context. And, I, and, we, and we know the things that have already happened. We know this has been partially fulfilled through Jesus Christ in the New Testament, through the Gospels. We know part of this is still future because we've read Revelation. And we've read through the book of Isaiah, and we can see history of events. We know, well, that's happened. That hasn't. There you go. It hasn't happened yet. And so, and, and many times, 
throughout the Old Testament, we see, we see the day of the Lord. And there have been many, lowercase, days of the Lord throughout the Old Testament. When the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians, that was the day of the Lord. When the Babylonians conquered Judah, that was the day of the Lord. When Israel crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, that was the day of the Lord. When Jesus came, that was the day of the Lord. And he said, what does he call his servant here? He says, I will keep you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people. Wait a minute. The Messiah is going to be the covenant? That's what it says, to be a covenant. Not to make a covenant with the people. That's different wording. He says, I am pointing you to be a covenant for the people. We think of a covenant kind of like a contract. It's, it's, you know, a contract is a piece of paper. You know, a covenant, the thing that you make a husband and wife make with one another. Until death do you part. You know, it's kind of, it's not an entity in of itself. It's, it's, a, it's a thing between people, whether it's between two people. In a sense, you make a covenant with your church when you join a church in membership. There's a covenant between the church and you, and you and the church. But we don't call anybody a part of that a covenant. They belong to the covenant. God made a covenant with you when, on the day of your salvation. But you are not the covenant. God is the covenant. He is a party to it, and he is the covenant. And that's what it says here, that Jesus, the Messiah, is a covenant for the people to restore the land, to make them possess a desolate inheritance. And so that he is going to be to restore the land. That, Like I said, Isaiah wrote this when, wrote it for the people when they were away from home. They were, they were desolate. Some of them had been captured and taken off to Babylon. Some of them had escaped and escaped to foreign nations to escape the armies of Babylon. And so they were scattered. And so that to make you possess the land, to restore the land, and the land had been destroyed. They came through and they knocked down buildings, but they also burned the crops and burned the land. Knocked down irrigation systems and all those things so that people couldn't farm. But what is this covenant going to do? This person, this servant that is talking, and it says that in verse 9. Actually, he starts in verse 8 and 9. He says, this is what you're going to do. He says, I will appoint you and make you a covenant to the people, and here's what your job to do. You're going to, re and as I said, to restore the land. That's what the, the Messiah is going to do. One, he's going to restore the land. Two, to make them possess the desolate inheritance. That's two. Verse 9, he says, you're going to talk to the prisoners. And you tell them, come out. And we see that later in Isaiah. Jesus, the Messiah is going to call to the prisoners. And then it says in number 4, you're going to call to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. Why are they in darkness? Because they're hiding. Not like we saw in verse three, in verse two, where it was God doing the hiding for you for protection. They were hiding out of fear. 
They were hiding from the enemies because of fear. And, and so the Messiah is going to come and say, show yourselves, come out of the darkness into the light. Oh, wait a minute. It says that the Messiah is a light to the nations. Come out of the darkness and show yourselves. So those are the four things the Messiah is going to do. He's going to restore the, the, the land. He, he's going to help them possess their inheritance. He's going to call the prisoners to come out and set them free. He's going to call those who are hiding in the darkness to come, come out into the light. What a compassionate God we have. And what's he going to do for them when they come out? What's he going to do for the people who are scattered and come back? What's he going to do for the prisoners who, who are set free? What are you going to do for the people who are hiding in the darkness? The last part of verse 9, going into verse 10, he says, Then they will feed along the pathways, and their pastures will be on the barren heights. They will not hunger or thirst, and the scorching heat or the sun will not strike them down. For their compassionate one will guide them and lead them to springs. He's going to feed them. He's going to take care of them like a pastor takes a shepherd takes care of his sheep. Okay? Because it says that they're going to take pastures. This is shepherd language. He says he's going to, he's going to be, they're going to take the pastures on the barren heights. Well, if they're barren, there's no pastures there. Because if there was grass and pastures up there, it wouldn't be barren. What's he saying? That, the, that there's going to be. Those, they're not going to be barren anymore. They're going to turn into pastures. And so you're not going to be hungry. Okay, It's not going to be too hot. It's not going to be too cold. For their compassionate one will guide them. So the Messiah is going to be their compassionate one. He's going to lead them to springs. He's lead them someplace to drink. Not some stale old mud puddle, but fresh water springs. In verse 11 and 12, I will make all my mountains into a road, and my highway will be, highways will be raised up. See, they will come from far away, from the north and from the west, and from the land of Sinem. So God's going to make their way. So not only is going to be make their way, but he's going to make it way easy. If you've ever dri driven um, you know, down through a mountainous region of the world, uh, or at least an extremely hilly part of the world, so if you drive down through southern Missouri in the Ozark areas, if you drive the old two-lane highways, you know, old Route 66, you know, old whatever highway or a county road, you know the roads are skinny, they are twisty, they are going up and down, sometimes quite steeply. But then you drive on the new four-lane highways they built, and while they're still hilly, they're not twisty, they're not near as steep. They cut off the top of the hill and they fill in the valleys, so you don't go up as high and you don't go down as low. They're a much easier drive. Whether you're down the Ozarks or you're driving through Kentucky and Tennessee, I've been down through there, same type of issue. Um, you know, go down through Arkansas. Arkansas is trying to build a new interstate. Um, and, you know, they, that's what they're doing. They're knocking down the hills and, and filling in the valleys. They make the road straighter and flatter. 
And that's what God does for us. And then he's going to bring your brothers and sisters in Christ from faraway places, from the far north, from the far west, from the land of Sinem. Where is Sinem? Never heard of Sinem before. Neither have I. And nobody in the commentary seems to agree. Some say, well, it's, it's, it's the southern part of Egypt, south of Aswan. And there's some reasons in, in, in Scripture that it could be, because it's, kind of like it's kind of like another Hebrew word for that area. Others say it's, it's an ancient word for China, which was in the far east. Either way, it's from a place far away. It's a faraway land that's not easy to get to. And so he's saying that he's going to bring you back. So there is no place that you can be too far from God. There is no area that you can't hide, that God doesn't know where you are. He knows where his children are no matter where they are in the world. For those of us who are in America, that... that <laughs> America is no, nothing special to God. There, there's nations all over the world. His children are all over the world. There are followers of Christ in China and India and in Russia and in Japan and Nigeria and in Egypt and South Africa and Liberia. There are Christians in Brazil and Chile and Guyana and Venezuela. There are Christians in Mexico, in Canada. And God knows about each and every one of them, just like he knows about you. And so he's going to bring them all together someday. And what does that cause you to do? Verse 13. Shout for joy, you heavens, earth rejoice. Mountains break into joyful shouts, for the people have comfort, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. And so all this should bring you to rejoicing of what God has done through the Messiah, what God will do through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. And it should bring you into a joyful praise, as it does in verse 13. So turn to God today. He is your salvation. He is your Redeemer. Look at all those servants. He is God's servant. He is a light to the nations. He is the salvation to the ends of the earth. He is the redeemer of Israel and the world. He is, he is the Holy One. He is the compassionate one. Look at all these names. He is a covenant. The names of, of the Messiah. Why is there so many names? Because no one name is a perfect descriptor. God's bigger than that. He is bigger than that. How can he be a servant and be a light to the nation? How can he be a servant and then also have the kings of the nations bow down to him? How can he be a servant and a covenant? Be a servant and be the compassionate one. That is your God. 
And because of that, all creation will rejoice. Heavens, that's everything above your head. Everything in the sky, that's the birds of the sky, the clouds, the sun, the moon, the stars. That is all the heavens. The earth, everything under your feet. The grass, the trees, the creeks, the rivers, the the lakes, the oceans, and the mountains, which are somewhere in between because they're earth, but they're above your head. They're all going to rejoice. So shouldn't you rejoice? For the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Not just the Messiah, ones. That's all of us. We're all afflicted because this is the fallen world that we live in. There is sickness in our lives. It could be COVID. It could be cancer. It could be you just getting old. You know, all your joints hurt. Can't do the things you used to do. Can't, you're not as strong as you used to be. You don't have the endurance you used to have. You don't have the speed you used to have. We're all afflicted. We lose jobs. The economy can tank. There are wars. People will betray you. There's all kinds of things that can happen. Our own sin shoots us in the foot. All these things. But we still we shout for joy because he has compassion on you. Turn to him today. Turn to him again. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for all your love and mercy. Show us how to rejoice in your love and mercy. Because some days it's hard. And some of us may have never done it before. But you are the mighty God. So I thank you for all that you do. And we just pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So I thank you for watching and listening. I see Don and Shirley were there. Um, Judy Huntsinker is there. Uh, those are the ones I see that, and, that have commented. I know there's more out there. Um, but I thank you each of you for watching and listening. Once again, I am Pastor Nelson Nisley at Tower View Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. You can find us on Facebook at Tower View Baptist Church. Um, just remember, we're the one in Kansas City, not the one in Illinois. Um, you can check out our website, towerviewkc.com. Uh, we have a, you can call the church, 816-368-1330. And you can, you can call, you can text that number. Through our website, you can send us messages. So how, if you have a question, you have a question about this scripture, you have a question about life, you know, give us a call. A question about salvation, please contact us. Um, in, in any and all of those ways. But God is the mighty God. So I hope to see you today at church at 1030 here, in the park, whether you're in the parking lot, you're in the grass, or you're inside. Um, if, you, if you are only watching online, leave us a message uh, and, you know, you know, for the sermon, for the songs, and, and how they touched you. Um, if, if this lesson is meaningful to you, if you think others can be helpful, go ahead and share it, please. Like it. You know, all, all those things, you, all those clicky things where you click like and you click, um, you know, share it on, on your wall and share it with others so others uh, can benefit from this. 
you were the, so I just praise God for all that he does. I thank you um, for watching. Like I said, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. So God bless. Have a, a wonderful day.